0: Good day, everyone. Welcome to B-Sides, this one based on Joshua 9-12, through 12, a message titled Mistakes Are Made. Now, I've spent the week at the Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference, so it's late Friday afternoon, and I'm going to deliver just a short one this week since I've been gone all week. Uh, the Pastors Conference, by the way, was fantastic. Um, just a great time of getting refreshed, recharged, re-energized, connecting with old friends and remembering, uh, that you're not alone in this and just a great time of encouragement and, uh, just getting poured into. And, uh, Brittany and the kids got to come and we got to visit my grandmother. And, um, yeah, like I said, just reconnecting with old friends and it just, it was really good. Uh, so yeah, therefore I'm just going to, Drop a short thought this week in connection with the message about mistakes are made. And in case you didn't catch it, the message, or prefer listening to the 60-second version, uh, here it is in 60 seconds or less. Go. Proverbs 19, verse 2. Whoever moves too quickly misses the turn. Joshua moves too quickly and forgets to ask Yahweh for guidance. The Gibeonites are neighbors whom Israel is supposed to conquer, but they lie and say they're from a distant country. Joshua is deceived and makes a peace treaty with them. He gives them their word and makes a covenant. And so Joshua is in a place where the congregation's upset, but he's given them his word. And so I did this um, enactment of his ego versus spirit discussing this. And, and what we realize is in his conversation is that, look, we make mistakes but how will our mistakes make us? Who will we be? What will we become because of, our mis- because of our mistakes? Joshua decides to let the Gibeonites live. We need to let our mistakes live. Because grace will use our mistakes to serve us, mature us, and progress us. There you go. 60 seconds or less. Now, the simple thought I had for this week comes from a story in Winnie the Pooh. And this is the one entitled, In Which Pooh Gets Stuck in a Tight Place? And I think we can all relate to getting stuck in a tight place, to making mistakes. What I love about this story is how we see Christopher Robin, who sort of represents a god figure in this story, at least the way we're going to look at it, how he reacts to Pooh's mistake. So it starts with Pooh doing his typical stretches in the morning. He goes out into the forest and takes a stroll and hums to himself. He sees a hole in which he knows is rabbit's hole. It's his house. A hole must mean rabbit, and rabbit means company, and company means Pooh's favorite thing, food. Pooh's always down for food, so he pays Rabbit a little visit, in which Rabbit politely offers Pooh food. Would he like condensed milk or honey on his bread? And Pooh says, both. But don't bother with the bread, Rabbit. And Pooh eats and eats and eats, licks his sticky paws clean, shakes Rabbit's paw, and says goodbye. Goodbye. So Pooh goes out of the hole, which is Rabbit's front door, and he pulls himself out with his front paws and pushes himself with his back paws and realizes, oh dear, he can't go forward. And so he tries to go backward, back into Rabbit's house, and he can't go backward. And to both Pooh's dismay and Rabbit's dismay, he is stuck. So, Rabbit goes out his back door and brings Christopher Robin for help. And this is what we read. It says, Christopher Robin lived at the other end of the forest. And when he came back with Rabbit and saw the front half of Pooh, he said, Silly old bear, in such a loving voice that everybody felt quite hopeful again. That is the gracious voice of our Heavenly Father. We get ourselves stuck in a tight place. Mistakes are made, and with only a loving voice, He looks at us. And it gives us hope that we can move forward, that our mistakes are somehow, grace is somehow going to transform these to transform us, that our mistakes are somehow going to serve us, mature us, and progress us. And we may, in shame or condemnation or just listening to the lies of the enemy, want to crawl back into rabbit's hole and stay there forever. But God comes and says, with such tenderness and love and perhaps humor, oh, my silly children, He knows we're going to make mistakes. He does not condemn us, judge us, make us feel awful for them. He already knows us being in a tight place. We already feel bad for what we did. He comes to encourage us and to move us onward, to get us out of that spot. And so Christopher Robin comes up with a plan. Pooh, I'm sorry, but you're not going to be able to eat again for a week because you need to get thinner. And of course, Pooh is dismayed. What am I going to do without eating for a whole week? But Christopher Robin promises to read to him. And see, sometimes our mistakes come with consequences that are not fun. We're stuck for a while. But in that stuckness comes our thinning process. God is pruning off things, trimming things out of our lives. And it's a time when we get to read or listen or pray his word into us, his voice into us, and all that other garbage that got us stuck coming out of us. And finally, the week comes to an end, and they're ready to pull Pooh Bear out. So, Rabbit gets all of his friends and his relations, and he grabs Pooh's front paws, and everybody in a line grabs onto Rabbit, and the person behind him grabs onto him. There's a whole line of people heaving and hoeing and pulling and tugging on Pooh Bear. And finally, Pooh comes out and everyone tumbles. The whole line tumbles over backward and Pooh flies through the air and lands right on top of them. And you know what Pooh does? He's grown through this. He just dusts himself off and he carries on continuing in the direction he was going. This is how the last... Two sentences read. So, with a nod of thanks to his friends, Pooh Bear went on with his walk through the forest, humming proudly to himself. But Christopher Robin looked after him lovingly and said to himself, Silly old bear. Friends, I hope you hear God's voice in there. He looks on us lovingly and says, silly old bear. He is not disappointed. He is not going to reprimand us or bring some sort of ill will into our lives to get even with us, to get us back, to teach us our lesson. God doesn't punish us for our sins. We are punished by our sins. Who had a week to think over what he did stuck in that place? He did not need to be punished by Christopher Robin. He needed to be encouraged and helped by the one who loved him most. And when we are stuck in our tight places, when we make mistakes, God looks lovingly upon us. I would even say humorously, do you think that our mistakes surprise him? He knows our frame, the Psalms say, that we are dust. He knows he has compassion toward us. We can have compassion toward ourselves. We can get up and move on knowing that he is laughing over us. He is smiling fondly at us. And all he does is say, Silly old bear. May God give us the grace to move forward through our mistakes. May he give us the grace to laugh at ourselves and to know that he loves us with that much affection. And now, our preview for the last section of the book of Joshua. This Sunday, we will be covering chapters 13 through 24. Yep, that's the rest of Joshua, and it's nearly half the book. Why that much, you may ask? Well, simply this. By chapter 12, Israel has conquered the land. Chapters 13 through 21 is about distributing the land to the 12 tribes. Not the most exciting reading, and not exactly reading that's going to change you or me in our week-to-week life. But there are some nuggets in there, and I'm going to point those out. But what I want us to first see is that the land is conquered. Um, Chapter 11, verse 23 says this, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. Chapter 18, verse 1, reminds us of this. Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. That's the tabernacle where they worship God. So now he's set up in the camp or in the land. And and this means that they're not worried about enemies coming and destroying it. So they have rest. And then it says, the land lay subdued before them. And then chapter 21, verse 43. Thus, the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And so we're at a period where the land is now at rest from war. The fighting and killing is done. So Israel, from the best that I can see, has invaded and taken down the military outposts. And so now the warriors are dealt with. What's left are the common Canaanite civilians, whom Israel is not commanded to kill at this point, simply to drive out. And God, it seems, from the beginning has always been about convert first, drive out second. Thus we see Rahab allowed to be spared and all the people that she could convince to join Yahweh and the Israelite people. That was at the Battle of Jericho. So now Israel, the land is subdued. There's no more wars, but there are still Canaanites. They are being given their land and they're now to go mop up. They're now to go in and say, all right, we We'll not have the Canaanite religion here, nor the Canaanite way of life, nor their culture. We are establishing Torah, the way of God. We're going to live by his laws here now. And if you don't want to join us, you're welcome to leave. But we will not live your way of life. That's the mission from this point on. Unfortunately, what we're going to see in Judges is that Israel did not always stick to this plan and adopted the Canaanite way of life. So, that's where the land is at at this point. Much like us in the world. Christ has conquered, but the world is still very much present. And When I say the world, I mean the world's way of thinking. It's up to the church to live by Christ's way and not to adopt the world's strategies, philosophies, and way of doing things. Um, Perhaps, maybe in Judges, we'll have more to say about, are we doing a job with that? Yes and no. But, uh, this last half of Joshua. So, some of the highlights. So, in the allotment of the land, uh, there's one really golden part, and it's in chapter 14, starting in verse 6. And this is where Caleb, remember Joshua's guy, Caleb, he gets his inheritance. Now, Joshua and Caleb were the two of 12 spies back in Moses' day, way back in Numbers 13. When Israel sent 12 spies to spy out the promised land before they entered, they sent spies and 10 tribes or 10 spies came back and said, there are giants. We don't want anything to do with this land. Let's not go in. And the whole congregation rebelled against God's command to go into the land. Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies who said, no, 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 no. God has given us this land. We can do it. And so Joshua and Caleb are the only two of that entire generation to enter into the promised land. So now Caleb, and this is climatic, he gets his long-awaited and well-deserved inheritance. So what does he choose? Does he choose the resort by the seaside or the mountaintop experience with a grand view and a majestic palace with servants to serve him the rest of the days of his life? Not quite. He chooses the land where there are still giants to drive out. Yeah, Caleb chooses a challenging inheritance. And I think that that is the secret to his success in wholly following God all the days of his life, is that he never settled for ease, but continually lived on the edge of his comfort. I don't think that God wants us to drive ourselves insane with challenging ourselves, because then you just stress yourself out. But neither does he want us to live in ease and comfort. He wants us to live somewhere in the middle. Because challenge is what keeps us sharp. Challenge is what keeps us growing. And Caleb was not about to rest yet. There was still growth to be had. So then there's more tribal allotments. And then chapter 22, it gets kind of pathetic. Remember how two and a half tribes decided to settle on the east side of the Jordan River, which in other words is just outside the promised land. Moses let them because the land was good for their cattle. They said, can we have it? Moses said, sure, just please help your brothers inherit the west side of Jordan. And they did. And then they moved back to their eastern side and they began to build life. Uh, and then what happens in chapter 22 is that they build an altar. An enormous altar. What's the big deal? Well, God asked that Israel worship only at the tabernacle, on the one altar. And so the tribes inside the promised land, west of the Jordan, they are alarmed because they hear of this altar and assume that the Eastern tribes are rebelling against Yahweh, that they're creating their own religion. And so they raise up arms in an army and go to attack the Eastern tribes. To which the Eastern tribes say, whoa, 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 what's going on? Hear us out. We built this altar simply to remind our children that we are indeed one with you and connected with you. We are not going to sacrifice on this altar or worship at it. It is simply a reminder of the true altar that we are a part of. To which the Western tribe said, oh, okay, and everybody was happy. Oh, this story. Is this not life? Is this not our politics? Our relationships? Our churches? We hear someone else. We hear about them doing that. And we accuse. We label. We blame. We judge. We make assumptions without discussing, dialoguing, or listening to each other. Yeah, we do that. And how much pain can be spared? How much division can be prevented? How much healthier would we be in the world if we were willing to talk and listen before we labeled, judged, and assumed Then chapter 23 and 24, the book ends as Joshua's life comes to an end. And Joshua there delivers his parting words, challenging Israel to hold fast to God's word, to love him, to serve him, to get rid of your idols. And then the famous call, choose this day whom you will serve. And Joshua triumphantly declares, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. So those three episodes, Caleb and the giants, the altar and the disagreement between East and West, and then Joshua's parting words. These three I'm going to emphasize. So if you uh, don't feel like reading half the book of Joshua this weekend and the division of the land is a bit stale for you, uh, that's okay. I understand. Um, You can just focus on those three sections because that is what I will be teaching on on Sunday. Until then, this is Pastor Brandon with Grace and Gratitude. Thanks for listening.